Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Ruth. We studied the first chapter last week in our last lesson, Sunday evening, actually. So uh, we're in the second chapter tonight, a little book of four chapters, but very full of meaning. We told you last week, if you put a T in front of it, you would identify or define the book of Ruth. It's truth. It's dispensational truth. It's uh, doctrinal truth and gospel truth. And you'll find it's filled with all the doctrinal truths that you uh, have under grace in the New Testament. Last week we saw how that the woman in her loneliness, the widowhood of Naomi, came to pass in the land of Moab in the first several verses, how that she lost her husband and her two sons, was left with two uh, daughters-in-law, and one of them, both of them determined to go back with her to Bethlehem, Judah, and yet one of them only did because we have those that are steadfast that will go back and others that just make a pretense of doing it, the picture of a person, you know, that's double-minded when they say, well, I will, and then I don't. That was Orpha, and her name means the back of their neck or turned her back. We gave you the meaning of the names in our last lesson. Then we saw how that uh, Ruth came back with uh, Naomi to the land, land of Bethlehem, Judah. And it says in verse 22, And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. So they come and they find everything just going big. Harvest is taking place and it's just striving. And they come back at a very good time, do they not? So we find they come back to Bethlehem. And the fields are ready to harvest. This is the bright side of the picture that we're getting into. The dark side was in chapter 1 where Naomi lost everything. If you remember in verse uh, 20 uh, of the first chapter, she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, and Naomi means pleasant, but she says, Call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Mara means bitter. So she didn't want to go by the name of Naomi anymore. She said, I'm not pleasant. I, everything is bitter. God's dealt very bitterly with me. And you know, when we go away from the house of bread as Christians, we can expect bad things to happen. We can expect to be the, on the losing side. They went away from Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. Bethlehem, Judah, the house of praise. So Judah means praise. And so when we go away from the house of God, when we go away from the presence of the Lord, when we go away from the Lord himself, we can expect to end up in uh, Moab, typical of the world, and the very uh, terrible things will happen to us, and it will be the means of God's chastening and correcting until finally we realize we need that house of bread, and we need the bread of life, and we need the blessings of the Lord. And the only place uh, to get them is to go back where you left them. You know, a lot of people think that they can uh, run from one place to another and run away from their problems. And, and on the other side, they can start anew. You just better face up to them while you're right there. There's no su such thing as running away from your problems. They're going to follow you wherever you go. Have you ever heard people say, I just, I'm going to go there and get a new start? You better start right where you are with a new start and make things right then and there, and then you won't have any problems. But anyway, we're in the second chapter. Let's look at the second chapter. By the way, before we get into the second chapter, I mentioned one thing last week, and I don't know if I got the name. I didn't have the information in front of me. I mean, 
mentioned the tenth generation, that the Moabite and the Ammonite, and let me read the scripture again, and I'll clear that up before I go any further. It says in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. And we said that Boaz was of the tenth generation, and that every tenth generation there was a special man. So I'm going to give you some information that I have here uh, before we get into reading the verse by verse on the second chapter. Uh, the De- Davidic ancestry, uh, in his ancestry we observe 60 generations uh, down to the time of Christ. And they go in six tens. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, we studied them in three, four, uh, three uh, uh, fourteens, didn't we? Fourteen generations times three, but it didn't go all the way back to Adam. See? So that was 42 generations. But starting from Adam, you have Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahalon. Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. From Adam to Noah is ten generations. Every tenth man is a special man. Okay? And in Noah's day, Satan tried to stop and cut the Messianic line, if you'll remember, by having uh, the first son, what was it? Cain and Abel, and then Abel, uh, Cain killed Abel. The first offspring of, of Adam was, was Abel. And uh, Cain killed him. And so the devil began right early to start to try to stop the line of the promised Messiah, that seed of the woman that he promised. But he didn't succeed. God gave him another seed in the place. His name was Seth, right? So Adam, Seth, and we quoted all of them, down to Noah. And we learned that uh, in Noah that his plans were thwarted, for even in the midst of corruption of these times of Noah... Here's a man that found grace in the sight of God. Noah did. And he walks with God. And he is one through, uh, through whom the Messianic line proceeds. So Noah wasn't cut off either. This teaches us that all the power of sin and Satan cannot frustrate the purpose of God in Christ. And we could give you the names, the meaning of these names. These a few little, I have three little pages of seminary notes that I had on Ruth when I was going to school. And I had some wonderful teachers that I wouldn't take the world for having been under. But I have the names of Adam means man, Seth means appointed, and so on. I won't bore you with all of that. Uh, but I could give it to you. But uh, anyway, then we the second ten, I really wanted to point out the ten generations and get down to uh, Boaz. The second ten starts with Sham and ends up with Abram or Abraham. Sham Arphaxad, uh, Salil, Eber, Peleg, Ru, Sarah, Nahor, Terah, and Abraham. So you have the second ten. It goes from Noah, and started with Shem, and in the line of Shem, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, if you'll remember, were the sons of Noah. And it starts with Shem and takes you to Abraham. So you have Noah, the first outstanding of the ten, and Abraham, the second outstanding of ten generations. And then this third starts with Isaac. See, Abraham begat Isaac. Starts Isaac, Jacob, Judas, Pharez, and then Ezra, Aram, Amenadab, Nason, Salmon, and Boaz. We come to Boaz. He's the third, tenth generation man. So this man that's before us in Ruth chapter 2 is of the third generation. We said that 
This Ammonite or Moabite, and Ruth was a Moabitess, could not enter into the congregation of the Lord with this man of the tenth generation. And by his marriage to Ruth, and in marriage the twain shall be one flesh, he took her into the congregation of the Lord. Which is a wonderful fact. And I didn't want to leave that hanging. I may have gotten even, I don't, I don't even, I haven't checked the tape to see if I even mentioned the right uh, 10th generation men, because without information before you, sometimes your memory on 30 different names might fail you a little bit. <laughs> sometimes it does. It was Boaz who took his Gentile bride, now remember Ruth was a Gentile, into the Davidic ancestry. That's why you find her mentioned over there in the Gospel of Matthew in the genealogy that we studied Sunday morning. And it was Boaz that took her into the, the line, the Messianic line. And as Ruth passes into the privilege of such people, she represents all Gentile believers so that now we have both Jew and Gentile sharing in one common hope. Remember, Boaz was a Jew, right? And so he brought the Gentile in to the Messianic line into the congregation of the Lord so that now we have both, and it's typical of what we have in Christ, both Jew and Gentile sharing in one common hope in Christ. And they were sharing in one common hope of the promised and coming Messiah, who was a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. So Ruth belongs to all of us, and so does the wonderful Savior who is in the fullness of time, uh, came through her descent in which Ruth shines like a Gentile star. Have a little saying here. What's, what star of Messiah truth more beautiful than Gentile Ruth? In her Gentiles... Find a place to share the hope of Judah's race. Now we see from royal David's line one hope for Jew and Gentile shine. And so it brought uh, all into... Boaz literally did that for Israel of old, brought Gentiles into the Jewish line. And Jesus, of course, had made of one flesh both Jew and Gentile, made of one hope and one made the, of both of them of this hope. And you find that in the book of Ephesians. Let me give it to you. If I can find Ephesians right quick, the third chapter. Listen, it says, uh, verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, that's the Gentiles, were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our faith, peace, who hath made both one, what? Both Jew and Gentile one. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of or, uh, commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, that is, both Jew and Gentile, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both, both Jew and Gentile, unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who were far off, that was the Gentiles, and to them that were nigh, that's the Jews. For through him we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, you Gentiles, but your fellow citizens with the saints, the Jews, and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building 
fitly framed together, groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also build it together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So that the New Testament church is made up of what? Both Jews and Gentiles. By faith. And Christ has done done all this in one body, one sacrifice, and he made peace between the two. And and now we have that kind of that situation of condition before God. Well, I just thought I'd drop that in before we get into the second chapter. Chapter 2 of the book of Ruth. It says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, and of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Notice in verse 1 you have Boaz. Boaz and his name means strength is in him. In this you have a kinsman, you have a mighty man of wealth, of valor, and he was of the right family. Boaz is typical of Christ. Uh, he's spoken of here, first of all, as a kinsman redeemer. How can Boaz picture Christ, and how can Christ be our kinsman redeemer? Because uh, Jesus, the Bible tells us, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. The Bible tells us he, was, he took upon him our nature that he might... Uh, be able to be a merciful and faithful high priest. Look in Hebrews quickly, chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, if you will. Okay, look, verse 14. For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. See? So that makes him our kinsman redeemer by taking the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him. The word behooved means it was necessary. Uh, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, see, a kinsman redeemer, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. He's able to take us to his bosom and, and hold us there and say, I understand. And that's something. The Lord himself is able because what? He's our kinsman redeemer. He knows all about us. Wouldn't it be something if we thought of the Lord as, as only God and not man. That's why the incarnation was so necessary. God became man. He's God manifest in what? The flesh. You see, the humanity of Christ is just as important to us as his Godhead. And this speaks of his deity, the, the, the fact that, uh, that God became flesh. And uh, the Bible tells us that he that denies that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh the same as the spirit of what? The Antichrist. See? So it's just as wrong to deny the pre-existent glory and deity of Christ. It's just as wrong to de deny the actual humanity of Christ. Because the Bible tells us that he's both. He's God and man. He's God manifest in the flesh. There's a little rhyme that says, He laid his glory by. He wrapped him in our clay, unseen to mortal eye. The latent Godhead lay. There Jesus was. But he was God. And when they looked upon baby Jesus, he was God manifest in the flesh. And as he grew up, they could see uh, through his life there was something different about this man. They could see he was man, but they could see that he was a special man, the God man. All right? 
So here, Boaz typifies the kinsman redeemer. And by the way, I want you to notice also that uh, uh, Boaz, of course, uh, his name, strength is in him. And we're going to find some more truths about uh, Boaz. Uh, but this fact that he's a kin kinsman redeemer shows us that he's not ashamed to call them brethren. That is, Jesus is not. If you look down in verse 4, it says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Look at that. He came from where? Bethlehem. By the way, he came to Bethlehem before he came from Bethlehem. Did you know he, even Boaz of old had to get to Bethlehem before he could come from Bethlehem? Jesus came to Bethlehem. And he came from Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. And then from there and from him, the bread of life came. Right? He says, I am what? Bethlehem. Didn't he? He said, I am the bread of life. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. How, you, how do you eat of it? How does a poor, uh, awful, sinful man, how is he able to partake of that bread of life? By faith. Because he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that eateth this bread shall live forever. And he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. So believing on him or having faith in him is the same as eating of that bread. Aren't you glad that God made it easily appropriated to us? The Bible says, The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, the word of faith which we preach. is where? In thy mouth and in thy heart. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. See, you, no one's left out. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. The problem is, a lot of people don't want to be saved. A lot of people really don't have the, the uh, appetite for it. And that's the tragedy. That's the tragedy. You talk about people saying, well, I, I couldn't be saved if I wanted to. That's That's... The lie of the devil. You can be saved if you want to. In fact, the very the very fact you want to indicates you you will be. God gives you the want to, the desire to, and it takes just as much grace to save a Sunday school child that's lived a good life all their life as it does to save the most wicked sinner in the world. It takes the same grace, same amount of grace. Someone says grace. Well, I got a great big load of grace because I was a drunkard. I was. This or I was that. I was. I went out and I was a violent man. Take the same amount of grace to save me, and I never did any of that. Exactly the same amount. No difference. It takes God's grace because we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Boaz here is a perfect picture. That's the bread of life comes from him. He came from Bethlehem. We'll get back to that in a moment. We're not going to hurry through this. This is so full of meaning. Look in verse 2. And Ruth the Moabitess. What about Ruth? She was a Moabitess. She was a sinner of the Gentiles. And remember, we've already read in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, where? What? She was under a curse because of the fact she was a Moabitess. Remember where the Moabites and the Ammonites came from. They came from an illicit relationship of Lot with his two daughters and two nations, wicked, sinful nations. Someone says, oh, that's awful. All have sinned. Put yourself in the same category. All have sinned come short of the glory of God. We were just as much under the curse as was Ruth, see? Because we didn't keep the law. It was the law that she broke. It was the law that uh, they were under. And the law that brought them under a curse, God says, okay, this is the law concerning the Moabites and the Ammonites. 
He says, this is the law concerning every sinner. If every man does not continue in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them, he's under the curse of that law, right? Cursed is every one that continues not in all things that are written in the law to do them. And so that puts us all under the curse. Even Jews and Gentiles as well. So we're no different from Ruth. No different. And a repentant sinner always finds a welcome. Ruth. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn. Look at verse 2. Hold your place where we're studying. Did you know these verses are so rich with meaning that you could just I could stop on that first verse and just spend the rest of this whole night. We could stay there, but we must go on at least a little bit. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me now go into the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. Look at that word, grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Now look, Ruth had a right to go and glean in the fields because the, the stranger was able to do that. But she wanted more than just, uh, she wanted more than the law could provide. She wanted to find grace. The law was given by Moses, but what? Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Sometimes people are satisfied with the law and say, I just want what's mine. Ruth didn't say, I have the right to go there and I'm going to glean in that field because God provided for me to go glean in the field. She said, I want to go and, and find a place to glean. I know it's my privilege and my opportunity, but in whose sight I may find grace. See, she wasn't satisfied with the law. A lot of people are satisfied to say, well, I'm going to keep the commandments and I'll be all right and I'll go to heaven. No, you're not because the commandments have condemned you. See? And we need more than the law, don't we? We need grace. And so it says, um, uh, and she went. Well, the last part of verse 2. And she said in her, go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Boy, this is full of meaning. The reapers know what to bring in and what to leave out. She gleaned after the reapers. The reapers are those who rightly divide the word of truth. You see, the, the corn, the meal, the the food in the field is, is food, isn't it? That's the corn, the grain. And the reapers uh, know what to leave and know what to gather. The Bible tells us the Christian, the Bible tells especially preachers and every Christian, to study, to show thyself approved unto God. A workman, it's not easy, is it? It's work. That needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You've heard me use this illustration uh, many times when I go to eat my lunch. I don't want all of it just piled on top of the plate. You know, you put the steak down and you put put uh, potatoes and you put gravy on top of that and you put your vegetables and green beans and your carrots and all on top of that and then say, well, they've got to have some dessert and take a thing of ice cream and, and put on that and shove the cake right down the middle of it. Would that be very appetizing? It'd all be good if you ate it ever, like it's supposed to be eaten, right? Have a steak over here, and the gravy and potatoes and so on, green beans here and so on. That'd be good. But I don't think that'd be very appetizing. Some ministry is just about as appetizing as that, where you find grace and works and, and all the doctrines mixed up and people don't know what to believe and what to stand for. Have you ever thought about it? How confusing it can be. You get up, you hear a preacher get up and say, Now, by grace, you're saved. Now, look, if you don't come to church, you're probably going to hell. You know? If you don't do this, you're probably going to hell. Man, what, where are you coming from? 
thought we were saved by grace. I didn't know we were saved by attending church. It's good to attend church, and the Bible tells us what we ought to do. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Let's get everything in its proper little compartment, huh? Rightly dividing the word of truth, and then it'll be appetizing. When you say that works are the result and the, the fruit of salvation and not the root of it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? That's, that's salvation by grace. Then it says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We ought to have them. God expects them, and they'll be the result of it, right? Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. See, we need to get the record straight, don't we? I'm, I have never heard so much confusing preaching as you hear from one place to another. That's why I think you ought to get in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church that, that uh, preaches the doctrines of grace. And don't get mixed up with all this charismatics, all the modernism, all the different kinds of, of denominations that will not take their stand for the truth and for the Word of God and for the blood of Christ and the deity of Christ. Stand where the Bible stands. And, and don't be uh, flirting with all of these. You know... My wife wouldn't like it much if I flirted with every woman that I see. I don't think the Lord likes it much when you flirt with every kind of denomination that goes on. Do you? We belong to Him, don't we? Are we dedicated to Him? We have a covenant with Him. We have a relationship with Him. Well, then why should we go searching around and flirting around with all the other denominations? Say, oh, well, it won't hurt me to go over there. Well, it might. It might do you more harm than good. That's what happened to, to uh, Naomi. She left the place where the house of bread and where the word of God was and the, the praise Judah, the house of praise. Judah means praise. And she said, I'm going over to Moab. It's better over there. What ever made her think that? And she came on the losing side when she got over there, didn't she? It didn't work out. And you and I will be the loser too when we start running around everywhere. I want you to notice in verse 3, the reapers, we've spoken of the reapers. And then we find in verse 3 it says, and her half was, and if you have a marginal reference, it says half or happened. Her half was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. We know nothing's by chance, but it's by God's providence. God knew where Ruth needed to glean. She didn't. You know, in her mind, it was just happen so thing. But in God's view, it's God's providence bringing it all together. You know, the woman of Samaria just happened to be by where Jesus was sitting on the curb of the well, right? Not really so. The Bible says Jesus must needs go. I must needs go through some. He must needs go through Samaria. Why? There was other routes, other ways, but he must needs go. Why? The woman was going to be there. Remember Isaac and Rebecca. Remember Abraham's servant, and he came where Rebekah was? Was it just a chance that Rebekah was there? No, God had already worked it out, and, and Abraham's servant had, had prayed, and it was exactly like God had purposed it so that Rebekah would be the wife of Isaac that he was sent to fetch. What about old uh, Cornelius? 
Cornelius, he wanted to, he needed to be saved. God looked upon him in grace and he said, you go send for a man over there in Joppa. And he sent his servants over there. Call for a man by the name of Peter. Well, suppose God hadn't worked over there on Peter. Suppose God had just sent him over there. Well, Peter said, oh, look, I don't have anything to do with you Gentile dogs. And I've never eaten anything unclean, right? Isn't that what he said? The lesson was in the sheet that was knit by the four corners let down. And the Lord says, rise, Peter, slay and eat. See, God was telling Peter, look, there's, there's someone on the way over here. But I want to teach you a lesson first that when he gets here, you'll know how to, how to act and what to do. And so when the, the men came over there, well, what happened? Peter was prepared. He said, well... This must be what God wants. He says, God just how, has just now shown me that I ought to receive you. And I told him I had never touched anything unclean, eaten anything unclean. But he says, rise, Peter, slay and eat. And he says, what God has cleansed, even the Gentiles, Cornelius was a Gentile, why callest thou unclean? So the Holy Spirit then spoke to Peter and says, you go with these men because I have a purpose for you. And they went and met Cornelius. And he, he said, Cornelius says, God told me that you could tell me uh, that I should listen to what you say. And Peter later records it and he says, I was to give him words whereby he and his house could be saved. Was that just to happen so? Not on your life. By the way, your being here tonight is not a happen so. Your being in Rio Dosa, your being a member of this church is not a happen so thing. It's in God's providence that you're here. You see, God knows what He's doing from the beginning to the end. People say, I just happened to go to the Rio Dosa Baptist Church. You didn't happen to go there. God, in some way, worked out everything that brought you here, and now you're here. You see, I believe that, that God's providence is able to overrule everything in, in all of society and bring what He wants done. Even the bad things He uses them, he, he takes the wrath of man and makes it to praise Him, doesn't He? The Bible says He does. The wrath of man. Some old fellow gets over here and he's just mad as all get out of the church or the preacher or some of you brethren or someone here in the church. God can just turn that thing around to where it's for His glory and our good. You know, when God's in control, nothing's bad for us. He has a way of just twisting it around and saying, well, never mind. I'm going to bring some good out of it. And the good is going to be what uh, you wouldn't expect. Okay, let's look at this. Verse 3. Her hap was to light on the far, uh, part of the field, belonged to Boaz, who was a kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came. Look, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And we've already mentioned that he came to Bethlehem before he came from Bethlehem. And the house of bread, and the bread of life, and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Look, Boaz was a big farmer. He had all these reapers out there working in the field. And he comes out and says, The Lord be with you. And the men answer what? The Lord bless thee. Capital and labor, right? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we had this kind of a relationship between capital and labor now? John, can you imagine in the morning when you get up and go up there, the guy you work for said, John, the Lord be with you. I don't think you need it. And then, and I think you'd have the courage to turn around and say, the Lord bless you. I mean, you'd be so shocked, you'd say, praise the Lord, wouldn't you? The Lord bless you. Because, you know why? But you know, when you have Christian people, they really can act that way. You know how to treat people that work for you. And if we haven't learned it, we ought to learn it. 
because uh, we're to be different than than uh, the worldling, aren't we? And Boaz was different. He said, he, he said to his reapers, "The Lord be with you." And they answered him, "The Lord bless thee." You know when the the all the differences. Look at all the unions and all the squabbles and everyone wanting his part and give me this. I will need more wages. And the guy says, "I can't afford it." Capital says, "I can't afford it." And the worker says, "I can't live on what I'm getting." And some of them get greedy. And when they're getting 25 an hour, they want 35 to put two bolts in an automobile. And that's why you and I pay $25,000 for one. So they come down and kind of come in the middle somewhere where everyone can live. That's why they're having all this argument about NAFTA now. And that's going to be bad, too. Because if you're paying for a home, it costs you $80,000. And you have to take about a third of what wages you're getting to compete with with a, a one that's getting a seventh, one-seventh as much as you are. And you're going to have to compete if they're getting one-seventh as much as you are. Well, then what, you, what you're going to end up doing? The guy that sold you a house or an automobile is not going to say, okay, you're taking half as much wages. That $20,000 car, I'll just let you have it for ten. You think he's going to do that? That house that cost you 60000 he's going to let you say, well, since you're just making half as much, you, we'll just cut the mortgage half and do it, and you can get it for 30 That's not going to happen, brethren. But anyway, I'm not going to get into politics. Get back to this. I probably could for you. <laughs> the Lord bless thee. The Lord be with thee. Wouldn't it, You know when we're going to have that? We talk about it and how wonderful it was for Boaz. When Jesus comes, we're going to have it. Amen? And it's going to be capital and labor. We'll be his servants and we'll be happy about it. And by the way, his servants now are well paid. God's blessings are upon you and you don't realize how blessed you are being a servant of the Lord. He's a good paymaster. Remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, what happened? He said, spoil the Egyptians, right? They gave, you know what God was, God was paying them back for 400 years of servitude. He says, you take all the jewels and gold and silver and everything. And then God says, when I get, when I get you out here in the wilderness and you build a tabernacle, you'll have something to build it out of. See, God's a good paymaster, isn't he? The servant is worthy of his hire. You as a Christian, you as a child of God, you're worthy of what blessings God bestows upon you. Don't live like uh, you're not deserving of it. You have all of this coming by grace. Now, I don't mean to, to get high and mighty just because God has blessed you. But on the other hand, recognize the fact He doesn't want you to always live crawling on the ground. He wants you to have enough to stand and walk upright. Man was made to walk, walk upright, wasn't he? The animals walk on all fours. Of course, I know that the uh, evolution theory tells us different, but I still believe God meant man was to walk upright. They say you're supposed to crawl, and that we used to crawl around like, first of all, tadpoles, and then frogs, and then monkeys, and finally turned into gorillas, and now we're men. Some men are still gorillas, aren't they? <laughs> but anyway, let's look at verse 5. Then said Boaz unto his servant, look, that was set, that, that was set over his reapers. You know, Boaz has servants. You and I are servants of God, aren't we? Jesus has servants. He says, those that are my servants, uh, serve me, let him follow me. We preached on that not long back. And him will my father honor, right? The reward, the rule and reward of serving Jesus. And him will my father honor. It says, 
whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. That didn't disturb Boaz any. He's used to dealing with people that, that need help. Boaz was the kind of man, Jesus is the kind of person that doesn't mind looking at the Gentile woman and saying, even though you, uh, the woman, he says, it's not me, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. And this Gentile woman says, but sir, said the dogs desire the crumbs that fall from the table, right? And he said, I've never seen such faith as this. And he rewarded it, didn't he? She put herself in a position to receive the blessings of Jesus. He was just letting her know that it had to be by grace. And anyway, and she said, I pray you, look, verse 7, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and had uh, and have continued even from the morning until now. She's been gleaning all day from morning till now, that she tarried a little in the house. In other words, just quick as she got here, she started in. Now, the law allowed her to glean there. She had asked for just a place to glean, but she received more than she asked. I want you to look at verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Boaz says, You don't need to go anywhere else. You found a place. Go not to glean in another field. Isn't that good for the Lord to say to you and I? We come to Him for salvation. He says, "Don't you don't need to go anywhere else. Here's your salvation right here. People say, oh, I've got this kind of gift and I've got that kind of gift. Do you have Jesus? That's the main thing. You have the, you have, everything ends with Jesus. You come right to Him. And He is the, He's the termination of your seeking. And a lot of people say, oh, I'm seeking this gift and that gift. And some people are seeking tongues and seeking special things. And they want to be... Uh, some special person, you know, in the realm of uh, spiritual gifts. God will give you exactly what He wants you to have, and the gifts are according to His will anyway. The Bible says He has given every man according to His will, not your will. I had a song leader one time, and he says, I never did understand that. He says, I thought it was according to my will. No, it says according to His will. It's not according to your will. He gives the gifts. Let me give it to you. Turn to Hebrews. Hebrews, quickly, chapter 3. Chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And we'll see what happens. Look in chapter 2, uh, verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now we're talking about gifts in a minute. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, greater than the law, greater than Israel, greater than physical salvation from bondage, if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first, here you have it, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, started with Jesus, didn't it? And was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. That's the apostles, right? And God also bearing them, that's the apostles. Look, God bearing them, witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles. God gave the apostles signs and wonders and different miracles. Now look, and gifts of the Holy Ghost 